Welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for FootballOutsiders.com, part of Edge Sports. We're heading into week 14, so that means it's time for the fantasy playoffs in a lot of uh, fantasy leagues. So luckily, we have John Daigle of NBC Sports and Roto World coming on to help break it down for us. Before we get to that interview, though, I want to share with you an exclusive offer from Football Outsiders, the innovators of modern football analytics with proprietary metrics you know and love like DVOA and DYAR. Those metrics are used by teams, and they're great tools for fantasy players as well. So get the most out of your fantasy teams and DFS lineups with an FO Plus package. You can become an outsider today with promo code FANTASY25, which will save you 25% off site-wide. That's code FANTASY25 to save 25% off site-wide on all of Football Outsiders' tools and statistics. Meanwhile, the show is also brought to you by Edge Sports, trusted by Super Bowl champions and billion-dollar betting syndicates. Only Edge Sports offers a fully customizable probability engine, interactive matchup models, and spread and over-under projections. Find your edge today with promo code FANTASY50 to save 50% off site-wide there. That's code FANTASY50 to save 50% off site-wide on all of Edge Sports packages, EDJ Sports. Okay, let's head over to that interview with John. Okay, joining me on the line today is John Daigle of Roto World at NBC Sports. John, uh, welcome back to the show. I think we had you on a few weeks ago. Uh, but now is a great time to have you back because it's week 14 heading into the fantasy playoffs in a lot of leagues. So I'm hoping that you're you're doing well, having a better start to your week than, say, Greg Williams is. <laughs> I was on previously. Last time I was still living with Evan Silva. Now yeah. I'm on my own again near family for the holidays. So a bit of the change in routine, but hopefully we'll still have the same good content that we had the last time I was around. That's the idea, and it sounds like you may have some bonus players today, so we may be going a little bit deeper even than the typical six most interesting waiver wire players for the week. And because we're going deep, let's go ahead and get started. Um, I'll take the first name. Uh, My most interesting waiver wire player this week is actually somebody that I'm not sure I even really want to recommend in fantasy. It's Cam Akers, uh, running back for the Los Angeles Rams. He had his sort of breakout fantasy day for the season on Sunday with 21 carries for 72 yards and a touchdown. Also caught a pass for 22 yards and took 21 of the Rams' 27 running back carries. Pretty much across the board, this was season highs for for Akers. Played 63% of the offensive snaps. His previous high for the season was 33%. You could say the same about carry percentage or anything else along those lines. And I think a lot of people are going to read this as sort of a changing of the guard for Akers, a player that we all have a lot of opti- optimism for as a former second round uh, or as a second round pick entering the season. But I think this may have happened because Daryl Henderson suffered a knee injury early in this game. And while knee injuries are sort of scary to hear for running backs, Henderson was able to return and took his one carry in the second half for a 38-yard touchdown and to me looked fine. So, you know, I wonder if this was just the Rams playing it very cautiously, especially considering they have a Thursday night game scheduled against the Buccaneers, a team that they're going to really want to beat given they're kind of in the mix for the top seed in the NFC. For the season, Henderson has actually beaten Akers pretty much at all of the running back efficiency metrics, 4.6 versus 4.4 yards per attempt, 2.2 versus 1.9 yards after contact per attempt, and 57.7% versus 53.8% success rates. I think Henderson is still the starter here. Still think you should pick up Akers because of the chance that I'm wrong. The ceiling is high. But what say you, John? Do you think that Akers may be actually inheriting the starting job here? It's a mixed bag. It's all over the place, honestly. I suggested in my waiver wire column on Roto World two weeks ago, so last week, 
that Cam mm-hmm. Akers was my number one pickup. And even then, the usage wasn't there, but I thought there was enough signal there that we should try and get ahead of what his usage could be to close the year. Of course, uh, two weeks ago, one big 61-yard run, really, and they let him cap off that drive with two more carries, eventually punching in a goal-line touchdown. And then this week, all those numbers you mentioned, all season highs, not to mention a season high with 26 routes run as well. Meanwhile... Malcolm Brown played a season low in snaps and he's not the one who got mm-hmm. injured. It was Daryl Henderson. So it really doesn't True. make much sense. So I would like to think that all of this is a signal that at least he'll be in a two headed timeshare with Henderson Moore to close out the year because the Rams actually have a favorable schedule as well. Uh, Patriots, Jets, Seahawks, and Cardinals to, to finish up. So I would still like to bet on acres and definitely pick him up. But where I rank him on Thursday with no more buys left in the week, honestly, still probably a high end RB three. And that's as high as I'll go. Yeah. I think I'm on the same page there. My, my initial thought was maybe like a Zach Moss type of value where maybe they have gotten Brown kind of out of that mix and, and such that like you can maybe rely on acres in your deeper leagues, but I don't really want him, uh, in my shadow leagues, at least this week. But I want to I want to pl- uh, have him on the bench to see what happens. And, of course, Daryl Henderson, prior to that one run, actually, you go all the way back to the team's bye week when he was dealing with a quad injury. He's averaged two yards per carry since that time. So he hasn't True. even been good until he oddly returned from a second injury and then exploded for that big touchdown run. So just a weird situation all around. With Henderson, I think some of that lack of like yard per carry efficiency may be due to the fact that he's been getting some of those goal line looks that – Obviously, you're not going to get a lot of yardage on those short opportunities, but mm-hmm. it has been up and down, even beyond the injury. So I don't know. It's confusing enough that I think Akers is a must add, but I'll probably leave it at that there. And so, John, why don't you hit us with your first most interesting waiver ad for week 14? I think Chad Hansen is really interesting and and one okay. player I did not expect to talk about, honestly. <laughs> we know Brandon Cooks left for a short period while getting evaluated for what would have been his sixth concussion in as many years in the league, but Brandon Cooks still ran 41 routes, and Chad Hansen was still on the field for a team-high 47 routes despite all of that. Seven targets, of course, behind Kiki QT's nine and Brandon Cooks' eight, and then Hansen also went over 100 yards. He only moved to the slot on nine of his 47 routes, so that's not where he's going to play. Thus, I would assume QT, Cooks, they aren't really threats to his workload as this team continues to use more three wide receiver sets. And Hansen's role, for better or worse, I think is here to stay moving forward. I, so I'm glad that you brought this up because Hansen was somebody that I was watching the the video of, of he and QT trying to figure out what I thought of this. And I was like, man, I kind of like all of these Hanson catches. He's bigger than these other guys. Um, let's see if I, I think I had this written down. Yeah, he's six foot two and two hundred and two pounds. Whereas Cutie is 5'11", 180. Randall Cobb maybe coming back from injured reserve in a couple of weeks. Five ten, one hundred and ninety two. And Hanson was kind of banging bodies in the middle of the field. Um, it just looks like a different type of option for Watson to be throwing to, um, almost kind of like a little miniature tight end. And so I thought maybe that would give him a little bit more sustainable workload, even though he was on the practice squad a week ago. Mm-hmm. And of note, beyond just the fact that he led the team in snap share, he didn't play any on special teams and Cutie did. So I thought maybe that could be a signal too, that he was entrenched a little bit as a starter here. So, I mean, yeah, I kind of liked him too. I think both Cutie and Hanson deserve to be picked up, even in shallow formats. Really liked what I saw from both of them. And I think Watson's just a star maker. Absolutely. And their upcoming matchup against the Bears, I understand, is not an ideal one. But if you're telling me the number one wideout for 
Deshaun Watson is essentially still free on waivers right now. Why not? Mm-hmm. I've added worse players this year. For sure. Now, I will point out Cutie, I also think is an ad. I know that he had the big 64-yard catch accounting for uh, close to half of his production. And really, that was just an amazing Watson play. There was kind of an all-out blitz. The Colts were bringing Watson sidestepped it and found Cutie basically uncovered down the field. But Cutie also did flash, I thought, kind of a diverse skill set. He like he knew where he was relative to first down markers. He was banging some bodies too, even though he's a little bit more undersized. He also made a really nice diving catch for about a 13-yard gain. So I think Cutie is, has a little bit more potential than you would expect, given that Bill O'Brien basically made him unhealthy and active all season. I think both of these players should really be on your roster, which is kind of kind of funny, uh, but it, it's pretty cool watching what Watson can do with these guys. QT definitely looked better than I thought he would. I would like to note, though, and I still don't know where I fall in him, I think he definitely still has the higher floor among him and Chad Hansen, but this is now three games, if you count the postseason game, where he's spiked a heavy production against Matt Eberflus's, uh zone defensive scheme. He's like the type yeah. of player that is perfect to fight that kind of scheme because he just settles in the slot. But as you said, he also had two big plays that led to a lot of his production, especially that big 50-yard catch. So maybe he is here to stay. No one's going to compete with him, not even Brandon Cooks in the slot. So if anything, he'll also be on the field. So it just seems like it's easy to now grab Cook or Watson's three starting receivers until Cobb returns whenever that is. Yeah. yeah. One piece of good news, if it was sort of a, a scheme related um, good day, is that I think, don't the Texans play the Colts again in like two weeks during the fantasy playoffs? Yeah. And the fantasy championship, they have the Bengals. Yeah. So like there actually are still some pretty good opportunities here. So yeah, I mean, great call. I really, I really agree with you there. Um, I'll shift gears a little bit for my second player to a quarterback, uh, Jalen Hurts for the Eagles. Again, another player that I have some sort of mixed feelings about, but I think he deserves to be picked up in fantasy leagues because he's such a big rushing threat. He averaged 11 carries and 58 yards per game in college on the ground. We don't really have any information as we record this about whether or not Doug Peterson is going to roll with him next week or whether Wentz is going to be back off the bench. He did bench Wentz for performance reasons last week. I think he said in an interview or or maybe in the post-game press conference that he was looking for a spark. And I thought that Hertz kind of provided that with his versatility. I would say it was a little bit of good and bad. He did like one thing that I thought he did really well was sort of vary his speed and trajectory of his passes. He had a couple of kind of lob type of completions to get it over some defensive backs that were playing a little shallow. Um, And I'm guessing they did that because Hertz doesn't really have the best arm strength. And that was something that did flash. And I thought that maybe his footwork could be a little bit better. He was doing a lot of stuff on the run from awkward angles, some of which ended up being incomplete kind of like a Cam Newton style that I thought. But I think the running, the rushing ability makes him such an enticing fantasy option that if he does end up being a starter, that like he could kind of go from a rags to riches fantasy story kind of along the lines of a Taysom Hill, if not for for as many touchdowns. Do you think that Hurts has that type of like shallow league impact, John? I think he has the rushing floor, yes. And I will say, although I probably would not start him immediately, If, for whatever reason, they go back to Carson Wentz in this upcoming game on Sunday against the Saints, uh, we know how good the Saints, great, I should say, not good, great the Saints defense has been the past six games. I would imagine it's a game that Wentz is benched in the first half. So I'm trying to get ahead of Jalen Hurts, even if you're not going to start him, no matter your format, you're picking him up. And then for the final two games in the fantasy playoffs, you get the Cardinals and the Cowboys. Yeah, that, that's actually a great idea. And I, D, the DVOA really supports that that case that you're making. The Saints are up to number two in DVOA pass defense, which is 
a huge turnaround for the first like three or four weeks of the season when they were near the bottom of the league there. Like we we laugh at the Falcons offensive production this past week, but 16 points is the most the Saints have allowed in their last five games. They've been awesome. <laughs> and they and they didn't have Davenport and Janoris Jenkins yeah. in this one game. So if they get back healthy, we know we are now, it took a while, of course, we know we're now terrified of the Saints defense. So it is a game that Wentz would absolutely get benched during. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Okay, John, who's your second player to recommend for this week? I'll actually just feed off your point and go Jalen Rager because Rager, okay. I understand the production was not there, but finally when he did record his lone 34-yard catch of the game, it was, of course, Hurts' first throw. He found him yes. running <laughs> wide open on the left boundary. We know this team has talent. It's just needed someone under center to deliver the ball to them, and Hurts did that in his minimum snaps. So I'm also trying to get ahead of Rager who has still led the team in routes run over the past month of the season since the team's bye week, since he returned from injury. Um, I know all the talk has been about Alshon Jeffrey playing, but Jeffrey's actually, for whatever reason, it's not a good decision, but Jeffrey's taking away from Travis Fulgham. He's not touching mm-hmm. Rager's workload whatsoever. So I still want to add Rager ahead of the fantasy playoffs. Yeah, I conveniently have notes for this because Zach Ertz is going to be the next player that I want to talk about. But let me just go ahead and hit you with the snap shares for all the Eagles. Uh, you have Dallas Goddard, 84% leading the the wide receivers and tight ends. Then Rager and in, 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 uh, Greg Ward at 71%. Alshon Jeffrey, 56%. Zach Ertz back on the field, 44%. And Travis Fulgham, 40%. So I think you're dead on that the Jeffrey is really taking away from Fulgham rather than Rager. Rager, definitely one of the starting options for the team. But I still wonder whether Ertz may be more the fantasy value you want. Even though Goddard, I think, is pretty clearly a top 10 fantasy option, I think maybe Ertz can be that too. I mentioned the 44% snap share. That's a lot lower than it was earlier in the season when he was over 85% in each of the first five weeks. But, you know, he had a really major ankle injury. I thought this might have been more of like a, a soft reopening, I would say, of Ertz as a fantasy player. And just looking at the, some of the, the sharp cuts that he made, I thought he looked fairly healthy, and it could bode well for a, a big increase in his snap share over the next few weeks. The Eagles actually led all NFL teams the last two seasons in percentage of plays with two tight ends on the field. So I think maybe that's the way they're going to go going forward, even though they have a lot more uh, quality players at wide receiver to choose from, whatever you think of Jeffrey. Do you think that's a possibility, John? I do. No matter what we think about Goddard's explosiveness or lack thereof at this stage of his career, uh, the fact is the Eagles will certainly use him, and we've seen that already attack Goddard. Uh, Goddard this past week played 84% of the snaps, whereas he was literally an every-down player in the prior two games. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also saw at the beginning of the year that he can sustain and have standalone value even more so than Ertz, even with Ertz on the field. It's almost like Ertz takes away from coverage for Goddard, making it easier for him, despite the fact he's actually playing fewer snaps. So I'm still higher on Goddard, who clearly isn't a free agent in your fantasy leagues, most likely. Yeah, definitely But I, I would not run away from Goddard, is all I'm saying. You can definitely pick up Ertz because of how poor that position is, and we just need any amount of targets there. So if you want to start him, sure. But Goddard will still be the player I would not run from at all. He's still the number one tight end in that offense. Yeah, maybe two top 10 tight ends in fantasy in that offense, which maybe. sounds crazy until you try to actually come up with 10 good fantasy options at tight end. All right, John, who else do you have for, for waiver ads for Week 14? One player I like a lot, it's just really hard to break it down, is Tim Patrick. And the two touchdowns last night, 
against the Chiefs are going to jump off the page, I know. Um, and his timeline, his box scores are wild because he's left a couple games this year with an injury. He played a full game with Kento Hinton, which we have to throw out the window entirely. And then he got injected for punching a guy in another one. So, like, they're <laughs> really all over the place, I understand. But Sunday night was his first full game in the last two months, not including the one he played with Hinton, of course, that he right. hadn't seen at least six targets in a full game. And he scored touch- two touchdowns in it. So I honestly think I, I honestly think it's only because Jerry Judy's clearly nicked up. Like, uh, he's obviously trying to limp around here and playing through this ankle injury, which is why his air yards are going nowhere, why, why, which is why it's been harder to deliver him the ball. Either way, though, Tim Patrick has stood out as the number one wide receiver among that group who continues delivering when at full strength. And so, yeah, I actually don't think Tim Patrick is a bad wide receiver five, let's say, uh, especially in deeper leagues, 12, 14 teams with two or three flex slots where you have to start somebody. He's on the field for every snap, so I like him a lot. Yeah, he, you know, Patrick often gets forgotten about, I think, because they just have so much like high drafted talent at skill positions on that team. You got beyond Judy, you've got KJ Hamler, a second round rookie. You've got Noah Fant. Uh, I can't remember where he was drafted, but he was probably first round too, right? Uh, so like loaded at the skill positions. But Patrick just, he kind of jumps off the page when you watch him play. I really wish the Broncos had a better answer at quarterback. And I wonder if they could get somebody like an elder statesman free agent quarterback in the offseason to kind of unlock some of these guys next season. But yeah, in your deeper formats, I advocate Patrick as well. Going kind of back to the shallow side of things, uh, Corey Davis, still available in you know about a third to a half of ESPN and Yahoo leagues. I think has really good value. Obviously had the huge fantasy day on Sunday, 11 catches for 182 and one on 12 targets. I suspect that that big target bump there probably had something to do with AJ Brown. seeming to suffer like a non-contact knee injury. He came back in and played and seemed fine, but I think that might've been a little bit of a scare and maybe kind of skewed some of the work more his way. But even accounting for that, I mean, he's been, Davis has been very consistent uh, since his return from COVID back in week seven, he's had at least five catches in five of his seven games, at least 67 yards in five of his seven games in that time. Actually leads Brown with a 25.6% target share since week seventh, 11th highest among all wide receivers. And for me, the critical issue here is that the the schedule has just gotten so much more favorable for the Titans. That started with the Browns, who were 23rd in DVA pass defense this last Sunday, but it'll continue through the fantasy playoffs. You have the Jaguars 31st, the Lions 28th, and the Packers 18th. So I'm, I'm very excited about that schedule. I think Tannehill's a great start, but he's pretty much rostered everywhere at this point. Brown, obviously a tremendous start, assuming that he's fully healthy. But I think that Davis is the is the one that you can probably still pick up in some leagues and get the, the benefits of that great schedule going forward. You mentioned his higher target share than Brown. Uh, actually, in their games played together this year, he has three more total targets too, even going back to week one. So okay, yeah. Davis is not only sustaining, but ha- adding standalone production weekly in these games. He continues playing alongside A.J. Brown, who hasn't done who hasn't recorded, believe it or not, it doesn't seem like it, more than four catches in any game since week seven. And that's because he's A.J. Brown just so good, he pops off the page and always picks up like 80 yards after the catch on Yeah, I was about to say, like, he doesn't catches. have more catches because he scores touchdowns as soon as he touches the ball. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then even like in his bad games, uh, that one catch performed against the Colts in week 10, he had a drop 50-yard touchdown. And this past oh, week, yeah. of course, he didn't have a touchdown because he fumbled at the goal line. So even his bad games are actually good. <laughs> it's so true. Uh, okay, you got some bonus guys for us, John? Yeah, just a couple quick hitters. Uh, I... 
you and I talked about Cam Akers. That was the only running back on our list for good reason, because if you go to your waiver wire, running back is pretty much all dried up now that even the third, yeah, even the third stringers are getting picked up. But I will say Ty Johnson is somewhat interesting because Frank Gore suffered a concussion in the first quarter. And then Johnson Mm -hmm. came in and was used heavily over Josh Adams, 24 of the team's remaining 32 backfield touches. And he outsnapped Adams 39, 19. So if Gore's out, I don't think Johnson is the worst pickup considering there is literally no one else available. And then I will keep banging this drum. I don't think Denzel Mims should be a free agent in any league. Uh, He's played four games healthy now with all three receivers, Jamison Crowder and Brashad Perryman available for the Jets. And Mims in that time, the last month, still leads all in air yards. He has tied Crowder for a team high in end zone targets. And then he lead the team with 27 raw targets in that stretch. And yet he's the only one among those three receivers who hasn't scored a touchdown in that span. So I I genuinely think positive touchdown regression is coming. And I think it's going to come in like a wave. Think like Leonard Fournette scoring touchdowns last year. Yeah, I could see that. Um, To me, he's actually even a little bit more appealing than Johnson for me. Beyond even the fact that Gore could be back in a week from his concussion, I just think the schedule is kind of turning bad for them at the wrong time for Johnson's fantasy value. Playing at the Seahawks and at the Rams the next two weeks, those are both top 12 DVA run defenses. The Seahawks in particular are a team that you really want to pass against. So, you know, maybe Mims, maybe Perriman, maybe... Crowder could all have a little bit of value next week, um, although I think you're probably talking more about your deeper formats. Right. Okay, I think that's going to wrap up this uh, week 14 edition of the Waiver Wire episode of the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. John, thanks so much for coming back on. Tell everybody where they can you know, listen to you and read all of your great work. At Daigle on Twitter and, of course, rotoworld.com, Waiver Wire column every Tuesday morning, and the Roto World Football Podcast, where we do a recap show on Sunday night, early Sunday morning, or your commute, if you even have a commute anymore. And then, uh, right. of course, our, our football preview show that releases Friday morning, going game by game, talking about every fantasy-relevant player for the weekend. And, Scott, again, thanks for having me on a second time. Thank you, John. Everybody check out all of John's great work. The timing is perfect for your fantasy playoffs. Meanwhile, swing back to this uh, podcast later this week on Friday to hear all of my week 14 DFS thoughts. Thanks so much, and I'll plan to talk to you then. Mm